Genesis, please, chapter number 2. Genesis chapter 2, I want you to look here at verse number 18. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. And believe it or not, after now several messages in this series, we're completing two chapters. So we're plugging along like snails, okay? But uh, we're getting through, and we're covering really some very important subjects. Tonight we're going to talk about this subject of marriage. And I've titled the message, Marriage by Design. Marriage by Design. God is, as I mentioned this morning, is a God of order. And what you read in these verses, these are not things that just happen haphazardly. It's not like we took things and we put it in a little box and shook it and then put it out and said, Oh, this is marriage. No, God orderly put this thing together now notice verse number 18 the lord god said it is not good that the man should be alone i will make and help meet for him and out of the ground the lord god formed every beast of the field every fowl of the air and brought them unto adam to see what he would call them whatsoever adam called every living creature that was the name thereof and adam gave names to all cattle to the fowl of the air to every beast of the field but for adam there was not found a help meet for him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. The rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, Shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for the blessing of being able to gather together. Give us insight here into this particular message, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. It always intrigues people when you begin talking about the family, about marriage, and uh, marriage is something that has been around since the very beginning of time, and sadly, people have a lot of funny notions about what marriage is all about. This morning, we talked about the roles involved as far as a husband, a wife, and people, again, are very fuzzy, because when we get into the next chapter, we're going to see that the devil has come in and has tried to disrupt everything that God has created. God has created all of these wonderful things. He's created man. He's created the animals. He's created the beautiful world around us. And everything that God created, it was good. And Satan came in and he disrupted everything. And so now as we've gone on these several thousand years here in human history, we have found that that which God has created has been distorted, people have been confused as to what is right, and that's why it's very important we come back to the Bible. Did not Jesus, when he was asked in the Gospels about marriage, people were concerned about, well, tell us about marriage, and is divorce okay, and asking these various questions, and I love the way Jesus said this. He said, I'm going to take you back to the beginning. I'm going to take you back to the book of Genesis, because look, between the time of Genesis and now, there's been a lot of distortion and disruption and confusion about all this. 
But if you want to know what God has, you go back to the beginning. And that's why we're in this series, and we've titled it, In the Beginning. So if we're going to talk about marriage by design, I'm going to give you just a few things here today. And I want to just walk through this passage and note some things that I think that really stuck out to me. First of all, I want you to notice the aim of God for marriage. The aim of God. What was God's intention? What's the purpose, if you will, of marriage? Some of you that are married right now are saying, I'd like to know that, preacher, if you really tell me, okay? Well, here's, here's the aim of marriage. First of all, I want you to notice we don't see anywhere that marriage is based on love. Now, not that love isn't a part of it. Is a husband supposed to love his wife? Absolutely. Should a wife love her husband? Yes. But notice here, God didn't say, oh, look at this. Look at these two. Look at the way they're eyeing each other. Love at first sight. No, no. God brought a woman and he placed her before a man and he said, these two are going to be brought together. So I don't see that it's based on love. Secondly, I do not see that God's aim for marriage is that it's based on sex. It's not based on that. So what is it based on? Well, notice Genesis 2, verse number 18. First of all, and we've alluded to this before, it is based on companionship. Remember, Adam had been out there for however long, naming all the animals, and he's looking at every one of them and said, nope, that's not a match for me, not a match for me, not a match for me. I mean, finding himself alone, all these other animals are matched together, and God creates Eve out of Adam, brings her to him, and he sees before God Here's someone that will fulfill my loneliness, fulfill the needs that I have. So companionship is very important. And that is vital in a marriage. One of the greatest things in regards to a marriage is that beautiful oneness and companionship. Second aim for God, uh, as far as marriage is concerned, we see in Genesis 2 verse 20, is completion. There is a completion. You know, it's amazing to me, Either couples are going to figure out that they're there, they are there to complete each other or they will compete against each other. How amazing when I find marriage counseling and I've got a dear couple, beautiful couple sitting before me and man, you, honestly when they come in, I, I ought to have some boxing gloves set up in my office where they just take it and duke it out. But truthfully, there is so much competing that's going on and arguing and fighting for rights and for expectations. And God did not design marriage that way. Yes, husbands and wife are different. Yes, there's different temperaments. There's different personalities. And God has designed man in a particular way. God has designed a woman in a particular way. But He's brought them together not to fight and compete but to complete one another. You figure out, if you're married here today, you figure out how can I complete my spouse, you will find a great source in your marriage. Secondly, or thirdly, I want you to see the other aim of God for marriage, not only companionship, verse 18, not only completion, verse number 20, but according to something we've previously, previously seen, and that is continuation continuation. You say, well, preacher, you said earlier uh, marriage wasn't based on sexual things, all right? 
that I'm not talking about continuation the same as sex. Sex is much more than just a powerful experience. It has consequences and very good ones in producing children. But I want to remind you here, and I think you all are aware of it, the pleasure of sex does not provide ultimate happiness. It was not made to be worshipped, but to be enjoyed according to the plan of God. What are we finding in our society today? They're worshiping sexual pleasure. Everything is about what pleases me. But that wasn't God's design. God designed it in a certain context, in a certain area, and there would be enjoyment and ultimate happiness. But you step out of God's design, and you might find happiness for a little time, but you'll find yourself miserable. So the aim of God for marriage, companionship, completion, and continuation. But now notice here, when we look at this design of marriage, let's look at Adam's assertion. The assertion by Adam concerning marriage. Now here it is, God brings uh, Eve, the woman, before him. And I love what he says here, these words. I mean, I don't know what you would have said the first words out of your mouth. But here, Adam looks at her. He said, Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I mean, don't you think as Adam looked at Eve, probably the most beautiful woman, no offense against any of you ladies out here, but probably the most beautiful woman that was ever created. And Adam looks at her and has these words. He's probably enamored by the goodness of God in providing somebody for him. And he realized that this one that God created was from him, and for him, and that there had to be a sense of unity. That's why he said, bone of my bones. Now, in them making this statement, what is he really saying here? Well, there's this sense of unity, but I think there's some things that really are implied here when we think about marriage and what's valuable about marriage. Two things that I know, want you to notice, that there should be a spirit in your marriage that I think was when the assertion that Adam made here. Number one, there should be a spirit of acceptance. You know, one of the foundational pieces to a great marriage is that a husband and wife accept each other. You know, the world's a cruel world out there, isn't it? But if you've got a great home and a great marriage, it's wonderful to come back and know that you're accepted right within your home. Right at the beginning here, there was acceptance. But how amazing, over time, the devil begins to accentuate here in every marriage the negative over the positive. Have you, can you think back to when you were first dating, if you were married here today? For some of you, I know it was a long time, but just kind of go back in your mind a little bit. Now think with me for just a moment, when you were first dating, wasn't it amazing here that you didn't really focus on all the negatives if you did see any? You're just like, man, she's beautiful. Man, he opens the door for me. You've forgotten some of that, haven't you? <laughs> he opens the car door. Man, he does, she does this, he does that, and, and we, we don't even look at the negative. And then it seems after a period of time, all of a sudden, that negative 
and it's all there, we all have liabilities, they begin to loom very large, and the devil likes to point those things out to us. And instead of having a spirit of acceptance, we have a spirit of criticism. We have a spirit of critiquing and judging our spouse. And when criticism and critique and judgment is a part of your marriage, your marriage will begin to break apart. One way for you and I to keep a spirit of acceptance within our marriage, and and, and this goes for any relationship, is to continually be thankful. In your prayer time, thank God for your spouse. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you, when you pray, you thank God for your spouse? You ought to. You ought to do that. You say, well, preacher, you don't understand my spouse. He's this and that. All right, you're already going down the wrong road. If you're already starting to make criticisms and starting to blame, look, I know my wife could go on for five minutes tonight, maybe longer, of things that are wrong with me. But truthfully, the best that we can have as far as our marriage is instead of focusing on that, she comes before the Lord and Lord, thank you that he does this. Thank you that he is this. Thank you for this. Thank you for providing somebody for me. And how wonderful that is. But then you ought to thank your spouse to their face there and show appreciation to them. That's, That's a great way of having a spirit of acceptance. When's the last time you've gone to your spouse and said, you know, thank you for doing this for me. Thank you for helping. I think when Adam saw Eve and said, this is bone of my bones, he recognized something this, this is a part of me, and there has to be a spirit of acceptance. But number two, there has to be a spirit of admiration. A spirit of admiration or honor. Again, don't lose the whole significance of Eve's formation. I think that every time that Adam looked at Eve, he'd have to think to her, she came right from me. You know, he starts kind of picking at his flesh a little bit and just like, She's a part of me. So therefore, there's an aspect of admiration and honor, and I'm going to protect her, and I'm going to do anything that I can. And every time Eve looked at Adam, she had to recognize, I am from him. And so therefore, the admiration and the honor comes in the fact that I'm going to trust him, I'm going to respect him, because I am from him. And I believe when we, when Adam and Eve had this in their marriage, and when you and I have it, It begins to help us, this admiration, this honor of one another. It helps us fight against all of the society, and they're trying to pull apart the genders, pull apart the marriages. What's happening in our society today? They're constantly trying to pull husband and wife against each other. They're trying to pit male versus female and and raise one up over the other. It's not any of that. It is in your marriage that you have this spirit of acceptance, that you have this spirit of admiration and honor. Everything in this relationship that I see, it speaks of love, of harmony, and completion. So we see God's aim for marriage Adam's assertion of the marriage, but notice with me, if you will, the assessment of the scriptures concerning marriage. Now, I want you to look at verse number 24, and I want to read this again because I'm going to emphasize three parts of this. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. 
Now, I'll be honest with you in reading verse 24. I don't know whether this is actually a continuation of Adam's words or if this is God coming in and saying, this is it. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. Now, it, it, it could very well be that Adam makes a statement. But there's nothing wrong with saying that this is Scripture also giving an assessment of what marriage is all about. You say, well, how so is it an assessment of Scripture? Well, you go back to Matthew chapter 19. Jesus quoted this passage. Go back to Mark chapter 10. Jesus quoted this passage. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5, of which we'll see in a couple Sunday mornings. And we're going to note here that Paul the Apostle referenced Genesis chapter number 2. So what am I seeing through Scripture at least a handful of times that there is something valuable about a man leaving his father and mother and cleaving with his wife and they becoming one flesh? There's an assessment that God is making about marriage that this is valuable, that this is important. And notice the three aspects here in verse number 24. And I use it in this sense, first of all, leaving, then cleaving, and then weaving. All right, that should be a pretty simple little outline for you to remember. Let's say those words together. Ready? Leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Wonderful. So let's talk about the first one. Leaving. Notice this. This is found in the first phrase of verse number 24, where it says here, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. Now, isn't that amazing that this statement is made and Adam doesn't have any parents? I mean, God is his father. I get it but no earthly parents for him to leave. So was this kind of a foolish statement to be made here because Adam had no earthly father and mother? No, this was a precedent that was supposed to be set for all uh, uh, generations to come thereafter. It's a principle that can be applied in many different ways. This leaving here as a principle can be applied, and as I do premarital counseling, I say that this leaving is applied to family, to friends, and to former flings. It's important. No wonder a vow that has been around for ages that says forsaking all others comes right back to what Genesis 2.24 says. Now, This doesn't mean that family and friends are totally erased from a person's life. A man doesn't leave and say, well, mom and dad, I'll see you in heaven in about 50 years after I I pass, and I'm going to be with my wife now, or the wife says the same thing to her family. No, no, that leaving here is not the sense that you erase your family from your life, but it has the idea that there is a priority in the relationships. I'm amazed today at many couples after they get married how many times a young lady will run back to her mom and dad for help. I like the parents, and that may seem old-fashioned to some of you young people, but I like the parents that say, you got married, you figure it out. Leaving father and mother. Now, does it mean that a mother and father has no influence? No, absolutely not. I think young couples ought to seek Uh, and honor their parents by seeking their counsel. They ought to express their love and appreciation, but they need to learn to build their own families and make their own decisions. Leaving. 
setting a priority. When I was growing up, up to this particular time, my mom and dad were there and they helped me with every aspect. But now I have set them aside, if you will. I still visit with them. I seek their counsel. I talk to them. But now I am married and this is a priority. So the leaving aspect. Notice now number two, the cleaving Here it's given in the second phrase. It says here, a man shall cleave unto his wife. Now would you agree with me tonight, all couples will go through times that are rough and sometimes have some disillusionment about things? I've heard a lot of different things from different couples. Preacher, she's just not attractive like she used to be. He's lazy. He wasn't that way when we first got married. And I hear all sorts of things that go on. But I want to tell you something. No matter what you think and no matter what solutions you may jump to, it is God's desire that there be permanence in your marriage. Permanence. Notice here the word cleave in verse number 24. Therefore shall a man, he shall cleave unto his wife. The word cleave has the, 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 the picture of gluing something together that really doesn't come apart. Now, I, I, I don't understand much of this, and for those of you that know better than I do, but I think you'll understand the principle. Plywood is a bunch of materials that have been glued and pressed together. You ever try to tear plywood apart? It's difficult. Why? Because all of those pieces have been applied, they've been glued together, applied together. Another illustration I think as far as this cleaving, I always get a kick out of these commercials. How many of you ever seen those flex tape commercials or the flex seal commercials? I love that guy. That guy's out in a boat and he's like, I saw this boat in half. And then somehow he sealed the boat and he's out there on the water. Well, what's happened is he's brought something together that really is not to be pulled apart. Do you realize that's what a marriage is all about? A marriage is to cleave together, and it is to not come apart. Now, I understand divorce happens. I understand there are things that that, uh, people decide on, but I want you to know that that is not God's design when it comes to marriage. I tell couples all the time when I do premarital counseling, I said, tonight I want you to go back to your house, grab a dictionary that you have, go to the D section, find the word divorce, and rip that page out of the dictionary. It's important. You've got to make a stand if your marriage is going to be permanent. You've got to set some markers down. And say, if God desired a permanency in this marriage, and He designed it for all marriages, then by golly, I'm going to trust God and rely on His grace, and I'm going to keep a permanent marriage. Oh, problems will arise. Your decision to stick together through thick and thin, it's going to make all the difference in the world. No wonder why Jesus wrote in Mark chapter 10, verse 7 and 8, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, they twain shall be one flesh, so they shall no more be twain, that is two, but one flesh, and what God had joined together, let not man put asunder. I love giving those words when I do a wedding. How beautiful. Nobody 
is to come in and tear that apart. But now notice the third area of this verse. It is the word, the idea of weaving. This is where I get the idea from where he says they shall be one flesh. I think couples ought to be careful. And again, now some of you say, well, I, you know, we do certain things. And, and, and again, I just let this fall where it may. But I, I talk to young couples, be careful about setting out separate bank accounts, having separate vacations and separate friends. When God brought you together, he brought you together to be one cleaving, weaving together. There is a marriage here that is designed by God. It's not, God didn't put a formal business agreement in Genesis chapter 2. God didn't just set a partnership. He established a marriage, holy matrimony. Three, three ways to weave together. You need to weave together spiritually. It's important that couples, they ought to read their Bibles together and pray together in order to have that spiritual union. Weave emotionally. Spending time together lets the other know that they're important. Your spouse needs to know that your marriage is more important than your job, than your hobby, and than any other friends. And then weave together physically. But lastly, I want to go ahead and talk about this. And this gets away a little bit from the, the design of marriage, but you'll see it as we discuss it. Notice the accommodations made by the world concerning marriage. I want you to mark something down in your mind for just a moment. And I said it in the beginning, but I, I, I want to bring it into this point. Everything that God does, the devil disrupts, desires to disrupt. Marriage is one of those things. If we stopped at Genesis 2, we'd go, wow, this is tremendous. I mean, nobody would complain about marriage. Marriage would be just wonderful, hunky-dory, man. It'd be like we'd been on an eternal vacation. But that's why when we get into Genesis 3, and when I cover this next time, we're going to talk about why do we live in a broken world? Because really, Genesis 3, the devil comes in and disrupts everything that God has established that is good. Well, there's accommodations that are made by the world. Because the world doesn't understand God's design... Because the world doesn't appreciate the order that God has established, the world makes all these accommodations when it comes to marriage. Now, not all of these things are going to stick, and I trust this first one, I hope, won't stick, but I'll talk about this. Because of sin and rebellion, there's a few problems that wreak havoc on general Christianity. First of all, notice polygamy, polygamy. Now, I hope some of you aren't thinking about having multiple wives, I really hope not, but I'm just kidding. So I heard somebody say, no, I'm not looking at who it is. That person said no in such a way that I got enough on my hands with one. I understand that. I always appreciate the joke and understand that my mother-in-law is sitting here today, so I, I, I love her dearly. But you know, I, the, the one person told me, they said, the reason that polygamy is not of God is because there's multiple mother-in-laws involved. So I just, <laughs> amen. I'm in trouble tonight, but that'll be all right. I live in trouble. Polygamy. What is polygamy? It's the multiplication of wives, but it violates God's instituted a pattern of marital, marital monogamy. While it was 
in God's prerogative and within his power to make more than one wife for the man, God only made one woman. Yet, how amazing it is, as we read through the book of Genesis, we find six generations after the fall of humanity, barely after Adam had died. Now, 930 years pass, Adam dies, and there's a man of his generation, or six generation down, Lamech, who took two wives. What do we see about that? Well, we read on further down the road in Scripture. There's other prominent men in Israel's history. Abraham, Esau, Jacob. Gideon, Elkanah, David, Solomon, and other prominent people in Scripture who engaged in polygamy. However, here's the problem. Polygamous marriages fall short of God's original design because it regularly resulted in favoritism of children, jealousy between the competing wives. We see that with Elkanah and a decline into idolatry. So just in case you're thinking tonight about polygamy, all right, I'm just telling you, it's not God's design. This wreaks havoc on God's original design. Number two problem, divorce. I've talked about this already. What's the problem here with divorce? You say, well, preacher, you you didn't understand my marriage. You You didn't know what was going on. I want to tell you something. The problem with this particular area, it is a compromise in the world concerning marriage because it disrupts God's permanence that he established in marriage. Jesus, as recorded by Matthew and Mark, both of them, adds to this aspect that what God had joined together, let not man put asunder. Now you say, well, preacher, look, I can go back and and God allowed it. All right, sure. Deuteronomy chapter 24, within the Mosaic law, there was a provision made because of the hardness of man's heart. You say, well, is, is, is it okay for me to go ahead and divorce? I'm not going to answer that question tonight. But God did allow within the law to say, all right, out of the hardness of your heart, if you're going to make this decision, we got to make sure that everything is done in order. And that's what Deuteronomy chapter 24 is all about. But you know what the Bible makes clear of? You read the book of Malachi chapter 2 verse 16, God's words right here, God hates divorce. He hates it. Now again, you're here tonight and you say, preacher, I've been divorced. God doesn't hate you. I'm not standing up here and telling you I hate you. I'm just, my job as a preacher is to declare the word of God. But you know what my secondary job is? When you and I have messed up in God's prescribed order, it is to help you get where God wants you to be. That's it. So look, you're here tonight, I don't look at you as a second-class citizen if you've been divorced. I don't say in my mind, well, you know, that person over there, he's been divorced two times, this person's been divorced once, all that. I don't look at all that type of stuff. I just simply declare, and what my job as a preacher is, whatever boat you're in, help you right where you're at. You're single here today and you're looking for a mate, my job is to help you find a good mate. That's, That's really what I'm looking for. You're married here today, whatever number marriage it is, you know what my job to do is? Is to help you stay married. You say, well, we're fighting and we're we're about ready to split apart. Guess what? We're going to go ahead and pray and rely upon the grace of God. We're going to help through these things. So divorce, number three area that wreaks havoc and tries to disrupt God's design in marriage is adultery. Why is this a problem? 
Well, this is a breaking of one's marriage vows. Again, I like the traditional vows. Couples today like to come and say, well, you know, we've written our own little vows and various things, and it's all this sweet little mushy, gushy thing, you know, and oh, okay, it's fine. But I always tell them, would you please consider some of these, I like the one that I have forsaken all, and I'm, and I'm just paraphrasing, and I'm with you. That's it. I've forsaken everything, and I'm here. Now, it's amazing how many times couples will stand on an altar and they'll commit themselves in that way, but then over the course of years, they're committing adultery. The Bible tells us in the Ten Commandments, which are recorded both in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5, it says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And a very egregious case of this in Scripture was David with Bathsheba. You know what I love about the Bible? The Bible doesn't skirt around all the bad issues. That's what I like about the Bible. I don't know about you, but if I wrote a book about people, I, I, I keep all the good stuff and get, get all the bad out of there. But God put some certain things that we may not appreciate a whole lot, but He put them in there so we can learn. And a very egregious error here was David and his sin with Bathsheba. David had been married. David had somebody that God had given to him, and yet he looked out and he committed this awful sin. In such cases as these, like David and others through Scripture, the principle of marital fidelity to one's marriage partner is compromised. And I want to encourage you today, and I really don't want to belabor this a whole lot, but I would encourage you that if you're here tonight, and God forbid that this is going on in our church, but if you're here tonight and you are married and you're committing adultery. Read Proverbs 5, 6, 7, chapter 9, verses 13 to 18. And I'm telling you, when you read those things, the Holy Spirit takes the principles of fornication and adultery and nails you to the wall. When you read the book of Proverbs, the Proverbs writer sets out adultery as a very foolish and dangerous activity. You say, well, I'm just kind of having a little pleasure on the side here. You know, there's not much going on at home. It is sin. It's wrong. And for those that go ahead and say, well, it's okay for me. Nobody else knows about it. God knows about it. God knows about it. God's idea is that we remain pure. Fourth area, homosexuality. Here's another falling away from God's created purpose for marriage. Again, I want you to look at Genesis 2.24. Let me read this to you and just emphasize. Therefore shall a man, masculine, male, leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, feminine, female, and they shall be one flesh. I like the way one preacher put it. God did not create Adam and Steve. He created Adam and Eve. It's true. 
Heterosexuality is the only possible arrangement for marriage as the Creator has commanded and expects married couples to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Since homosexuality involves same-sex intercourse that cannot lead to propagation, it is unnatural and cannot logically entail the possibility of marriage. I like the way Apostle Paul was referencing now, you're speaking about another subject, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But I use the question that they ask, does not nature teach you? Honestly, I think more people in our society need to get out on a farm for about 30 days. Just observe the animals. You don't see this type of homosexual activity amongst the animals. You find here that there's something important. Passages for you and I to consider. Genesis 19, Leviticus 18.22, Deuteronomy chapter 23, and many other passages talk about homosexuality in negative terms. You go to Romans chapter 1. This passage makes it clear that homosexuality, if you will, is a clear rejection of the Creator and His original design. And then ultimately, you know what homosexuality comes down to? It is bare-bones paganism. You know, if you were to take Romans 1 and you read it later, I don't have time to go there, but you look at Romans chapter 1, here's what Romans 1, if I could summarize it this way, here's what it is. It is man who basically says, I don't want anything to do with God and His rulership in my life. I think I'm okay. My passions are all right. I'm going to worship the world. Therefore, everything's okay. And I'm going to give in to my desires and my pleasures. And whatever I do is fine. And then right towards the end, verse number 31, you know what mankind does? He also propagates it. You know, it would be one thing if people in our society today would live a certain way, but they'd just be to themselves. You know what we're finding today? They're pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. Sad. But homosexuality, the last thing I share with you that is wreaking havoc today and disrupting marriage is gender confusion. We talked two, Sunday, two Sundays about this. If you were not here for the sermons I preached about gender, you look back on the website, you can see these, where God's designed for men and women to be distinct is being diluted. And when that happens, people will be confused about what it means to be masculine or feminine. The lines are being blurred. And how important it is for we as a church, you as a family, you as an individual, to go ahead and make sure that those things are clear. In conclusion tonight, I just share this. The world... And Satan, as the God of this world, is attempting to tear marriage apart. Now, I, I'm, I, I have a lot of things in the conclusion. I'm not going to go over tonight because there's probably questions that you have in, my, in your mind. And Lord willing, in future times, I'd like to answer some of those questions. But tonight, what I'd like to do is, in our invitation time, if you're married here today, I'd like you to just come and pray. I want you to pray with your spouse. Might be you kneel up here, might be you stand, sit in the front row, but come and pray with your spouse. If you're not married tonight, here's what I'd like you to do. You say, well, preacher, you're leaving me out. No, I want you to pray for the marriages that are here. And pray for you 
that God would help you. Maybe you're looking for somebody. Maybe, I don't know what's going on in your life, but pray because tonight as we have focused here on marriages, God's doing all He can to attack the family and specifically marriages. And so I want you to pray. Maybe if you're single tonight, just select maybe one couple. You don't, if you want to go to them and say, I'm praying for you. And maybe you'll pray for that couple. Or maybe you just might sit down in the front or stand in the front and you've selected a couple and you say, I'm going to pray for them. And right up here, you just pray quietly and you ask God to help them. Whatever it may be, I want to encourage you tonight because as I said this morning, and it applies here, the strength of Calvary Baptist Church will be the strength of the families. The strength of Calvary Baptist Church will be the strength of the marriages that are here today.